Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is George Abreu. Thanks for being on the show, George. Thank you for having me, Whitney. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. You're, you're a perfect guest uh, just from your experience and you are out there making it happen. I just see you all over the place. Just uh, your company's exploding. You're doing some great things. So, but a little about George, in case you haven't heard of him before, he's an active and passive full-time multifamily real estate investor with 1,720 doors on the GP side and over 1,400 plus doors on the LP side. Currently, he has another 850 doors under contract on the GP side as well. Also owns a construction company that focuses on helping multifamily investors with their full renovations. His goal is to reach 10,000 doors by the end of 2021 by creating partnerships and implementing the proper systems for scalability. So George, thank you again for your time. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. I know you and I got to meet in Texas at an event a few months back, and uh, I'm happy that you agreed to be on the show. So, But tell the listeners a little more about who you are and maybe a little bit about your background, and let's jump into some of your, your superpowers in this business. For sure. Well, thank you for that intro. Couldn't have said it better myself. And as far as more of my background, I guess, I started with single family investments probably about 13 years ago now. This was in South Florida. I'm originally from Miami and got enough flips done with the single family to quit my W-2 and started doing full-time real estate investments. Then the crash happened, 2008, and I needed to decide to either go back to a W-2 job or at least move because there wasn't much you could do in South Florida at that time. So that's where, when I decided to move to Dallas, Dallas. Texas. And we continued to do more fix and flips. I decided to open a construction company to kind of scale up and, and ramp up the fix and flips. We were probably up to about 45 or so a year. And then about three years ago, I kind of opened up my eyes and, and you know looked around and, and noticed that, sure, I had been building this company, but it wasn't really building the wealth I wanted. It was very transactional. And I started looking more into something that can produce more cash flow. You know, I wasn't holding much of the single family that I was doing. It was mostly fix and flips and then sell them for retail. I did a couple holds. Didn't like to manage the properties and collect rent. So when I heard about multifamily and the fact that you can purchase these 200 plus unit buildings and whatnot, you know, before that, I didn't even know that was possible through a syndication. So I really started turning my focus towards multifamily. And so that was about three years ago. And then about two and a half years ago, I completely stopped doing single family and just started focusing on, on multifamily. And that's with my investments as well as the construction company. And haven't looked back since. Awesome. Well, you know, and I hear a similar story to that often, you know, in myself, I, I'm very similar, you know, start with small multifamily, single family. And it's like one day, you know, you realize there's this other thing out there called syndication and, you know, you just, your eyes are open to that possibility. You know, I had no idea, you know, so it, it's so interesting, but, but you, 
you know, you, you started a construction business as well. And, and tell us a little about that, what you were focusing on then, because it's so interesting. It's such a useful skill going into multifamily. Elaborate a little bit on that construction business and then how you moved into a larger multifamily. Yeah, it all started with, like I said, with the fix and flips in, in the single family. And we got burned several times by other general contractors, you know, not finishing the job and taking some of the funds that we had given them. So I had worked with one of my uncles owns a construction company. I had worked with him in the past and also have an engineering degree. And I didn't actually, so I guess I can go a little further back. I've got a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering, but out of college, I didn't quite go into that. I, I went into the engineering department at UPS, which was more of building. Like we were taking care of the the warehouses and also building additions. It was more of being an in-house general contractor, really. So I felt I had that experience and I said, you know what, we're just going to be a general contractor. My wife thought I was crazy. My business partner thought I was crazy. (laughs) You know, at least here in Texas, when you deliver on your promises, good things happen. So the construction company started taking off as well as the investments. And so we were doing our own fix and flips, like I said, like up to 45 a year. And then we also had investors that we were working for doing their flips you know, we had a pretty, pretty good business, but it was very, very, very time consuming. I now have three little daughters, you know, there's seven, six and five. Thank you. Wow. So I wanted to figure out a way to spend more time with them as well. So that's kind of how I led back into multifamily. Yeah. As far as the construction company, I mean, it, it's been pretty crucial. It's, it's helped me get into some of the multifamily deals I'm in as far as with the partners. They felt very comfortable with me bringing that piece to it. A lot of our investors, our passive investors feel very comfortable with that as well, especially if it's a heavy value add and you know we have that piece in-house. I know that would make me feel better. I mean, it just your the skill level you're going to have also just by having your own construction company and that experience, you know, is is extremely valuable. You know, and so I I know you've I mean you've become an expert in this value add type, you know, multifamily deals that everybody talks about, but and and moving into that, I'd love for you to really elaborate on you know what value add means. That that term is is used so often in our space. And I hear that all the time. We got this value add deal and I see the pictures and it looks like this brand new property, you know? So I would, I would love to just know, maybe that's okay, you know, but I'd love to know your, your feedback or feel on what that means. Just explain, cause I get that question. Well, Whitney, what does, you know, what does value add mean when we're talking about these properties? And then let's dive into just really your, your superpower behind that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, very, what you're saying is is dead on. You know, everybody's using value add now. All the brokers are saying it. And, you know, I'm sorry, but adding backsplash or adding a fence to a yard to me is not a value add. You know, that's that's more you're you're pushing it. <laughs> so I, I think something above maybe five thousand a door is when you start getting closer to that value add. And then, you know, a heavy value add is probably ten thousand a door. And it's when you're really going in there and you're, you're doing major upgrades and it's an older building and it needs all new roofs or, you know, so I guess we could talk about the difference between deferred maintenance and, and upgrades, which yes. I like to tell investors, if you're going to invest into, into something that's a heavy value add, you want to make sure you ask your sponsors, how much of this, let's say it's 10,000 a door, how much of that is going towards deferred maintenance and how much is going towards upgrades that's actually going to get you more income. Because if they tell you 
well, 8,000 is going towards deferred maintenance and only 2,000 is going towards upgrades. You want to dig in a little bit more there because there's going to be a lot of money put towards just fixing up the building, which is great. I mean, you definitely want to harden the building or the property, but you also need to bring value and raise the income. Okay. So we need to ask how much is going towards the upgrades versus uh, the, the deferred maintenance. And if that is swayed the other way, I, I think, you know, would that tell us or help us to understand if I'm the passive investor, what should I be looking for? Maybe in a little more detail. Yeah. If it's, if it's swayed the other way, you know, if they're telling you barely anything's being u- used towards deferred maintenance, the follow-up question would probably be, well, you know, what's been replaced? Can you show me the CapEx schedule that's been completed? And, you know, maybe they've, at that point, it's probably not that big of a value add. But I don't know, maybe somebody came in and, and spent all that money in the deferred maintenance and didn't do any of the upgrade stuff. And, you know, that could be a good deal. We're, we're actually working on one like that now. It's pretty similar. Nice. So, you know, I'd love for us to kind of walk through this, the value add process a little bit and help us to be most prepared. You know, when we have that property under contract or, or maybe we're about to, we're looking for that property, I'd love for us to know some key things to be prepared so we're ready to, to hit the ground running or, or maybe some common mistakes that you see. But even as the listeners are, you know, I hope, you know, they're paying attention to that, but also as a passive investor, you know, I want to know that my operator is, is ready to go, right? That they're as prepared as possible. So, you know, help walk us through that a little bit, you know, ways that you've been so successful in the value add you know, multifamily space, you know, and, and when we should be start preparing. Sure. So, I mean, I see this all the time where the investors or the sponsors during their due diligence and during the transaction of getting the, the property to the closing, they spend a lot of time raising the equity. And usually they do some type of due diligence. You know, I personally think you should walk every single unit or at least have a team that's walking all the units, pay really close attention to your down units. You should have professionals checking out your roofs, professionals checking out your foundation, drainage, plumbing. You should scope all your sewer lines or at least a good portion of them to get a good idea. You should also, depending on the electrical, maybe have an electrician check it out as well. And then don't forget about your upgrades. So a lot of times I see other investors where they get all the deferred maintenance checked out, which is great, but then they don't have numbers on their upgrades and they kind of leave it up to, to figure it all out when they close. So what we like to do is we want to have our scope lined out before we close. We want to have a pre-construction meeting, maybe the week before we close. And then day one, we're executing that plan. So no time is wasted. You know, I see, I see months go by after a closing and nothing's been done to the property yet. No upgrades, no deferred maintenance. The scope of work is still getting figured out. And then you end up spending more money than you should have, which affects your returns. To me, due diligence is more than just due diligence. I mean, to me, it's a time to, to figure out what it's going to cost you exactly what your CapEx is going to be. And we've been pretty good at doing that. I just don't understand like how, how you can close on a property and not know what this stuff's going to cost you yet. You know, or like have no plan. I, how do you even raise any equity? I don't understand. I don't know. I see it all the time, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I agree. Like it just it blows my mind. You know, it blows my mind. Like how how can we even underwrite properly if if you don't know what this stuff's going to cost? Correct. Correct. I mean, you know, we do our high level underwriting where we're kind of like we're guessing, sure. we're looking at pictures, but I mean, at some point, you know, we really dig in. Right. Right. So you know, in that process of the of the due diligence. 
you know, you, you mentioned like walking all the units and, and I think you made a great point of like, okay, the down units are, are down for a reason. Yeah. Right. So what are some things you found that, that maybe weren't made so obvious to you, you know, but, but that like these units were down for something that maybe you had to dig a little for to find out why. I know one deal comes to mind where we, we walked away from it because we just kept uncovering so many things. You know, the seller wasn't, wasn't telling us how many down units there were. And then when we were walking all the units, they were supposed to be, so we didn't have it under contract yet. We were touring it, but they were supposed to be showing us all the down units and they were kind of keeping us away from a section. And I was like, well, what's, what's going on right over there? And we, you know, they took us over there and it was a bunch of units that had been flooded by some, some plumbing lines that had burst. You know, they were trying to hide that from us. That's maybe 20,000 a unit, 15 to 20,000 a unit, four units, you know, that adds up. So those are the kind of things you kind of, you discover. We've also discovered a ton of units being used for different things, like for storage or for maintenance. And usually those units are in pretty bad shape. You know, the ACs and those, those units are being used for parts and whatnot. So, I mean, it starts adding up. Yeah. So tell me a little about like how you're preparing your team to begin that value add process on day one. I mean, that's like, we want to know that like our team is ready to go as soon as possible. And we have a plan. And I just wonder like, how, how do you know that, that your team is ready? Even your, your management team as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we get everything lined up from our, from our crews. At that point, our crews have been out there several times. The sellers sick of us because we've asked to come on site. Who knows how many times usually they, they don't give us a hard time about it. And everybody's just on the, on the same page. You know, some things that may not be 100% figured out might be like exterior colors or, I mean, even the interior finish outs. We have a pretty standard interior finish out that we do. So we've got all of that ready. We've got our materials lined up. You know, the only thing that might take a couple of days on the interiors is really figuring out what's vacant, what's not. You know, sometimes that's not really accurate from what we're being shown. <laughs> so we give the the management team a week or so to get that under control. But I mean, everybody knows their place. Everybody knows what they're doing. And then we get, we get to work. Okay. Can you tell us maybe an example of a business plan on a recent deal or, or to p- kind of paint us the picture that we need to expect from our operator that we're investing with, or if we're an operator, you know, just kind of, you know, what does that timeline look like in the business plan say, you know, okay, we've closed. Now what should happen over the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah. So I can give you, you know, we just late November, we closed on 1,275 units in Houston. It's a five property portfolio. Small property, small, real small. Yeah. (laughs) So on that one, I can give you an idea of what we've done so far and how it's looking. So we started with, with what we call the deferred maintenance or harding, harding the property, meaning we knocked out most of the roofs at this point. So we don't have any more roof leaks. We've taken care of all the major plumbing. We had some boilers to replace. We had some sewer lines that had to be replaced. We've replaced AC units, not all of them, but the, the AC units that we were going to replace, the ones not working. And then we've started on the first batch of interior units and we got the paint colors picked out about a couple of weeks ago. And we started with the exterior cosmetics two months in and we've completed most of the deferred maintenance. And now's when we're starting to beautify the property. 
Nice. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, you really hit some of the bigger items first that, that are most important or most, I guess, time sensitive. Yeah, they're time sensitive. They show the tenants that are there that, hey, you know, this new owner is here to take care of things. These are these are things that are bothering the tenants. You got the roof leaks, you got the the plumbing leaks, you know, AC not working, obviously. So <laughs> they feel much better of where they live. And then once they start seeing the upgrades, I mean, that just, yeah, yeah. turns everything around. So, you know, now that you've got those those big items taken care of, obviously roof, plumbing, sewer, AC units, you know, you're, you're two months in now. Now you've started on the interior. Is there a plan of like, okay, this this many this month, or we hope to renovate this many units per month or this many within six months? What does that look like? Yes, for sure. On other projects, it's it's a lot easier to... So we've done projects where you've got 30 to 40 vacant units or more than that. And then we come up with a, a plan of, okay, we're going to knock out, you know, 15 a month or 20 a month or on this one, it's a little different because the occupancy is really high and we don't have a lot of vacant units. Mm-hmm. So we're taking a little bit of a, a different approach. You know, we're, we're actually, usually we fix when we have that many vacant units, the 40 to 50, we fix the easiest ones first to just get them out there, get them leased. On this one, we're actually fixing the worst units first and letting the leasing team do some of the, not the leasing, sorry, the property management do some of the easier turns. So we're doing a little bit less on on this one. That's a large property though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a little different probably than, than your average hundred unit, you know, by itself, of course. So, you know, anything else as far as, you know, just being successful to, uh, you know, in the value add process, any other ways that you've, you recommend being prepared or just for that value add component before we move on to a few final questions? No, for sure. I mean, I, I would say it comes down a lot to your team, you know, make sure you have the right, the right team and that you know exactly what you're getting into. You know, I've heard some sponsors that don't, they don't look at flat roofs. Well, if you've got somebody on your team, that's really good with flat roofs. I mean, a flat roof can last you longer than, than a sloped roof. You just have to make sure you have those professionals on your side. And that way, you know what you're getting into. I like that. It's so much about team, isn't it? Yes, big time. So, you know, in your case, you know, are you focused more on the on your like construction team or the management team? I mean, just personally, I know they're all important, but I just mean like, what's, what's your role amongst all these things going on? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So... On the construction side, I'm, I'm working on putting the pieces together where, you know, I'm not so involved on the day-to-day. And then on the investment side, a little more involved on the day-to-day, but I'm also trying to put those pieces together where I'm mostly kind of just overseeing everything, you know, easier yeah. said than done. But I think you and I talked before we even got on here about systems and a lot of it has to do with systems, right? making sure to implement the right systems. All right, George. Well, just a few final questions before we run out of time. What's been the hardest part of this syndication journey or process for you? The hardest part, you know, it's probably been, I don't want to say raising the equity because it hasn't, is the fear of raising the equity. You know, I, I had never done that before when we were doing the single families. We had a couple private lenders, but it wasn't, you know, we weren't syndicating a deal. So that was pretty new to me. And then our, my first couple syndications, I partnered with somebody that that was their main role. 
So yeah, raising the capital has, has been different, but now that I've jumped in and gotten into it, I mean, it's I actually enjoy it. Good. Yeah. What was key and like overcoming that fear as other than just getting in there and, and all of a sudden it's, it's working now and it's easier, but you know, what was key in, in learning to raise the capital initially? I guess one of the things is just feeling comfortable, you know, speaking to somebody about, about how much money they have to invest and, and realizing that, you know, what we do is a good tool for them and it can help them make their money work for them rather than keeping it in these retirement plans or wherever they have it. You know, and once I realized that, I, I think that's what made it easy or easier. Right. How are you prepared for this potential downturn that everybody's talking about? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we've been on a great run <laughs> with, with the market and, you know, it's, it's going to get soft at some point. I think we all know that. So we, we're really careful on our, on our purchase. You know, we, we believe the money is made when you buy. So we have not gotten into any of these bidding wars as far as pricing. You know, once somebody, if something's listed and it's going to highest and best, we're most likely not bidding on it. We're working harder to find those pocket listings or to go straight to the seller to make sure we're coming in at a, at a good price. When that downturn does come, that we got in at a good basis and we can, we can move things around and make it work. Also, the financing is pretty important, you know, making sure we've got the financing to, to hold us through that. What's a way that you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours? Oh, man, that's a good question. You know, I could say more systems, but obviously that's not specific. Maybe there's a specific thing that's helped you to create those systems or a software or a anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just started implementing a, an investor portal and that's been a lot of work on the front end, but I, I think it's going to save us a lot of time. Yeah. I definitely think an investor portal is nice. As we continue to grow, I mean, I, th I think we need it. How do you stand out in your relationship with your investors? We're always thinking about ways to stand out. I mean, I... I'm very customer service minded and I'll give you a simple example, you know, on, on all our deals, we send hard binders to our investors with important information about the deal. It gives them somewhere to put their financials if they want to keep their K1s and it's something physical that they can, they can touch, you know, and it makes it feel a little more real. And we try to just do more things like that, you know, and, and, and always stay in contact with our investors so we can nice. stand out. Yeah. Is that an after closing or is that something? Right after closing. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I like that. And what's the way you're finding investors right now? You know, a lot of social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. I go to, I lost count how many networking events a year, but a lot of them. and. Majority of that, majority of social media and, and, and networking. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Focus, 100% focus. If I would have continued to keep trying to do single family investments and multifamily investments and the construction company and trying to do it all myself, there's no way. So yeah, focusing. Be, be no time for those little girls in with it. No. Not worth that. Right. So, you know, and tell us how you like to give back. So, yeah, this year we've made a, a commitment within our team that, that we're going to pick a philanthropy and, and start giving back, probably doing something quarterly. So I can't say that we 
have really done anything yet. I just know it's on top of our goals for this year to, to really go out there and, and give back. Cool. Well, George, I'm grateful for your time and just sharing your experience and expertise and just in that the value add component of, of this process and business that, you know, we hear that term all the time. So I love diving into that and somebody that's just an expert in that like you are. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. And tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah. So you can find out more on our website. It's elevatecig.com. That's Commercial Investment Group, CIG. And then you can also email me. It's Jorge or George, <laughs> J-O-R-G-E at elevatecig.com. I do have a checklist I can send you for due diligence and for CapEx. So if you guys email me, I'll, I'll send that over. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.